Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Troy, you guys can grab a seat. <clears throat> this week, my phone has been blowing up about interviews about the Ukraine. And I can't help but think when people want to do an interview with me, like, why are you asking me uh, to do an interview? There's a whole lot better people you could ask about this. I'm just a retired chaplain. I don't know nothing about nothing. So why are you asking me questions about the Ukraine? And everything that was going on in the world today, all of us were watching the news. Everybody was watching to see how things were going to play out. And as I was preparing this week's sermon, this thought kept coming to my mind. And this thought wasn't designated about the Ukraine and Russia as much as what we just sang two songs ago. It was a thought about us and about what's going on inside us. So I want to put kind of the theme of this week's sermon on the screens for you. And then I'm going to tell you why this thought kept coming to my mind. You see, I'm convinced that people every day, all day long, ignore the warning signs. But I'm not talking about the geopolitical warning signs about what's happening in Russia and the Ukraine. Listen, I'm not one of those crazies that believes that Russia and the Ukraine is happening in the Bible and it's all a matter of just a couple of days and then the, the end is going to come. No, what I'm saying is that there is a war that goes on inside us. And when you ignore the warning signs that are happening inside you, it is a crystal clear indicator of the sign of war that's already happening inside of us. What we sang just two songs ago. And you won't find anywhere else in the Bible a more vivid picture of a war going on inside a few people than what we read today in John chapter 10. We're, as a church, studying through the Bible book of John. We're calling this sermon series, Jesus in Real Life. Because I want you to know what you're going to hear today should make a difference at school tomorrow. It should make a difference when you go to work. And if it doesn't make a difference, I've done something wrong today or maybe you've heard something wrong see Jesus is speaking to a bunch of Jews in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and they pin him in a corner last week and they ask him a very very specific question Jesus are you the son of God if you missed last week's sermon, you got to go back and listen to it because he answers that question more vividly than anywhere else in the Bible. And after they hear Jesus's answer, we're going to pick up right exactly where we left off last week. After these religious leaders hear Jesus's answer, they are so shocked and so offended that they're going to try to kill him today. Quite literally, they're going to try to kill Jesus for what he just said. And I think you're going to be able to see that these guys are ignoring three warning signs. And sometimes Christians do this. People around you do this all the time. I'll show you the first warning sign that they ignore. If you come from an English-speaking country, I know you've heard this phrase before. If you don't like the message, what? Come, come on. It's an open book test, you guys. The answers are right on the screens. If you don't like the message... Yeah, Jesus, they asked Jesus a very specific question. 
John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus gives a very specific answer, and they hate him for this answer. And they decide, I don't like the messenger, so we're going to do away with the messenger because I don't like this message that I just heard. We're going to pick up right exactly where we left off last week. Jesus has just made this statement, the Father and I are one. And by doing so, he has just declared, I am God in the flesh. That's what he said to them. Now let's see their reaction. John chapter 10, verse 31, after they hear what he just said last week. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. And Jesus replied, if I have shown you many good works from the father, for which of these works are you stoning me? We aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy. Say that word out loud because it's a really important word we're going to talk about in just a second. We aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews replied or answered. We're stoning you for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. I'm going to leave this on the screens for just a second because I need this to hit you in the chest like a freight train. And I'm saying this because there are crazies out there, a bunch of morons actually, all over the place that say, you know what, Jesus really was a good moral teacher. He really was a great prophet. But he's not God. In fact, he never claimed to be God. I want to say, wait a second, have you read John chapter 10? Because when they heard Jesus' statement, chapter 10, verse 30, they immediately picked up rocks and said, now we got to kill you for what you just said. And it was no doubt in their mind what he was saying. And I want to tell all of those theological idiots out there, listen, if he claims to be God and isn't God, then you definitely can't call him a good moral teacher. That man is telling lies. If he claims to be God, but he's not God, you wouldn't call him a great prophet because a prophet that speaks lies is from the devil. And the Bible tells us you're actually supposed to kill him, what they're trying to do right now to Jesus. In fact, if what Jesus said isn't true, he is the worst religious leader that ever stood foot on planet earth. But if what he said is true, This changes everything because he's standing in their midst and he's saying, when you see me, you've seen God. And they are so angry and so offended. He has just broken the law of blasphemy in their minds that we have no choice. We have to kill him now. And blasphemy in Jesus's day, which was a much more serious offense than it is in our day. You see, blasphemy is basically anything that you do, anything that you say that treats God with contempt. If you don't give God the credit for being God that he deserves, then you have basically just created or committed blasphemy. I was trying to think of an example of this last night when I was driving on the interstate and a great example came up in the conversation. It would be like cutting someone head off for flicking a cigarette out the car door while they're driving down the interstate. That's littering. It's a crime. We're going to have to cut your head off for it now. 
The Jews in Jesus' day took blasphemy so serious that immediately they passed judgment. Immediately the crowd became executioners because we take the holiness and the glory of God so seriously that we're going to have to kill you for this, for what you just said. And by the way, what they're trying to do is right. And biblically, uh, they have the, the Bible's authority to do it if Jesus really isn't the son of God. The whole purpose behind this warning sign for us is to say they're missing something and they can't see it. All they can see is there's a messenger who just said something and it doesn't sit right with us. And because it doesn't sit right with us, we're going to kill this man for what he just said. And in Jesus's day, blasphemy was immediately carried out a capital offense that was immediately carried out and they would just kill you right there on the spot jesus you just claim to be god everybody heard it there is absolutely no mistaking it and now we have to kill you for it and i need you to know that the people out there that try to treat jesus as less than the creator of the universe the one who called you out of sin and into a relationship with you anybody who ever does that with king jesus is ultimately at war inside themselves and they're committing blasphemy by making god's son less than he really is and this is the first warning sign that the religious leaders can't see it. And the, and, and the Bible wants us to see what's going on inside these guys' hearts. So it's reminding us, listen, if you don't like the message, don't shoot the messenger. Pay attention to the message and make sure you understand what the message is. And this is the Son of God standing in their midst and saying, I did a bunch of miracles in front of you. Which one of those miracles are you going to kill me for? And they're like, we're not killing you for the miracles. We're killing you because of what you just said because it's so offensive to us. And the truth is, now we start to see just how blind these religious leaders are. They're blind to the obvious. And the truth is that sin is going to blind all of us. Sin creates a blind spot that you can't see and you don't even know that you have because there's something not right between you and God. And now this sin is blocking you from seeing clearly what's happening around you. You and I need other good brothers and sisters in our lives that can see something that we can't see in our lives who can point out, hey, Jeff, there's a blind spot in your life. I need you to see that this is a blind spot so that you don't make a big mistake in this area. So Jeff, I'm going to come alongside you and help you make sure that you don't make a mistake in this area because you're being blinded, deceived. You're missing something because sin will do that to all of us. It does it to me. Sin will blind you from time to time from something that's right in front of your face. And when we get to this point in John chapter 10, I just want to take a half step back and ask, how could these guys possibly miss the person that's standing right in front of their face because they've seen the miracles, they've heard his message, and now he's standing right in their midst and saying, I am the Messiah, the one that you've been longing for for thousands of years. He's standing right in front of your face. And it was so obvious to everybody else. But the most religious people in town missed it. 
They missed it so fat, so bad that listen to their description about why or how bad they missed it. We're going to pick up in verse 34. Jesus answered them when they said, we're killing you because you claim to be the son of God. Jesus answered them, isn't it written in your law? I said you are God's. This statement comes directly from Psalm 82. And Jesus is quoting the Old Testament, which these religious leaders would have memorized. And he says, hey, you guys know this verse from Psalm 82, verse 6. Well, how come you have a problem with this word, little g, God's? Isn't it written in your law, I said you were God's? If he called those to whom the word of God came God's, little g, and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? Basically, Jesus is saying, look, You show respect for important people by calling them sir or ma'am. You refer to them as Lord, or you would call them God. That was a popular way of describing somebody that had a lot of power and a lot of respect in Jesus' day. Comes from Psalm 82 in the Old Testament. He says, I don't get it. If you would be willing to use the little g God to refer to a man, why do you have problems using the capital G God to refer to the one who was sent by the Father and who's standing and right in front of your midst because of the works that you've seen me do? Let's pick up where we left off. If I am not doing my Father's works, don't believe in me. Now you can see Jesus is going to go take it a half step further to try to convince them that they're missing the obvious. But if I'm doing them and you don't believe me, I want to add this in here. Like at least believe the works. Like at least believe the miracles that we sang about just a moment ago. If you don't believe me, if you don't want to believe my message, would you at least then believe the miracles? This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. And again, and this, by the way, isn't the second time. If you read through the book of John, this is now three or four times. Again, they were trying to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. They are so furious by what they just heard him say because they're so blinded by their own sin. They even said to themselves one chapter ago, John chapter 9, A miracle has just happened. It's so great of a miracle that we can't explain this away. In fact, we believe that this miracle was impossible even for God. A man was born blind and now he can see. And we have no answers for this. And the guy who can see is saying, the dude by the name of Jesus is the one who healed me. And Jesus is standing in front of their midst and they're asking him questions about who he is. And he's saying, listen, if you don't want to believe me because there's something um, blinding you, would you at least look at my miracles? Would you at least pay attention to my miracles? And I got to ask, like, why doesn't the math add up for these guys? They've seen his miracles. They cannot deny it. They even say to themselves, we can't deny that miracle. And they're hearing him right in their midst. And for these religious leaders... They can't uh, come to the conclusion that he really is the son of God. And I really believe that part of the problem here 
is their understanding of the scriptures. Jesus says the scriptures cannot be broken, but you have twisted it and you've distorted it and you've made the Bible say what you want it to say. And you've made the Bible fit your tradition. Now, come on, y'all. People do this all the time. You know people who do this all the time and they take some of what the Bible says and they make it fit their circumstances so they can feel good about themselves instead of making themselves fit the Bible because this is going to hurt just a little bit if you do it that way. And Jesus is standing in front of these religious leaders and he is giving them every possible proof. I'll show you the miracles. I'll give you the message. You're looking at the messenger and every possible approach. They still can't see it because they're blinded by their tradition. Because these guys are following a set of religious rules. They don't have the framework to see who's standing right in front of their midst. In fact, the Bible will tell us much later on in the book of Acts. It's not until after Jesus's death his resurrection, he goes back to heaven and his people are so radically changed that they start to give away everything to take care of the poor that some of these religious leaders say, "Uh uh-oh, that guy really must have been the son of God because nobody does what these people are doing unless something has happened in their hearts. Something has happened inside them. I hope you can hear from Jesus today that if you really want to get to know the messenger, you're going to have to spend some time in his message. And I'm just going to tell you, Jesus makes it abundantly clear from the Bible today. He believes the Bible to be unbreakable. And I'm going to use the word without error. If you want to know where Jeff is on this, if you want to know where Two Cities Church stands on this issue, we are a church that believes without question the Bible to be without error. And I say that because I've met people that have this claim that, yeah, I believe that God is all-powerful, and yes, I believe that he gave his word to men a long time ago, but over the course of time, stuff has changed, and people have distorted God's message, and the Bible today is not even reliable. I want to use this discussion with him. I want to say, do you, do you believe that God is powerful enough that he could put his words into the heart which come out of the pen of men as they write it down? And usually their answer is, yeah, well, I, I, would, I guess I could agree with that. Do you believe that God is powerful enough that that word that we read, uh, that that word that they wrote down really does come from them, not from, really does come from God, not from them? And they're like, well, you know, I guess I could give that one to you. But when you factor in thousands of years of translating the Bible from one person to the next to the next, well, certainly it's become so distorted that it's not even trustworthy. And this is where I want to ask him, don't you think that the God is powerful enough to write this and to put it on paper is also powerful enough to preserve it so that what you and I read today is still every bit as accurate as when it was written thousands of years ago? And when I get to this point, people struggle. So here's my explanation to them. Why don't you go back and do a little bit of research for yourself instead of believing what the internet tells you and go look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, the greatest biblical discovery of all time. Because in the 1940s, we found parts of the Bible that were written 2,000 years ago. 
and the closest manuscripts to them were more than a thousand years later. So we can compare a thousand years of note or handwritten notes to see how bad did this thing get twisted out of, out of whack. And I'll tell you already, go do the research for yourself. Read the Dead Sea Scrolls. Go read some of the earliest manuscripts. And you'll see that there is virtually zero difference between those translations of the Bible 2,000 years ago and what you hold in your hands today. Here's what I'm trying to tell you, church. Spend time in the Word of God if you want to get to know God, the Word. Because the same guy who's writing this, John, says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we could touch Him and see Him and hear with our ears the Word of God was right in front of us. And we call His name Jesus. They missed it. Because they were holding on to their religious rules so much that it blinded them. And they couldn't see. And now I'm going to put a statement on the screens that may offend some of you out there if you consider yourself to be a pretty religious guy or gal. You see, there's a gap in the Bible next. We don't have a record of what was going through Jesus' mind immediately after verse 39. But in verse 40, Jesus decides, you know what? I'm done with these jokers. And he decides, I'm not wasting my time with religious people anymore. And he leaves. And the Bible is going to tell us what he does next. The Bible is even going to tell us who he does it with. What the Bible doesn't tell us, we just don't have the whole story, is what was going through Jesus' mind when he decided, I'm leaving Jerusalem. And I'm going to go talk to other people who will listen to me. Listen how the story picks up in verse 40. So he, Jesus, departed Jerusalem again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier. And he remained there. Okay, pause. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He is in the epicenter of the faith when he's having these discussions and he's trying again and again to convince people in Jerusalem in the temple that he is the son of God and they don't want to hear it. So in verse 39, he decides I'm done and I'm going to go somewhere else. And then verse 40 tells us where he goes. He goes back to John, the Baptist hometown, kind of, and decides, I'm going to go hang out with the people that John the Baptist was hanging out with. I want to ask the question at this point, why did Jesus run away from Jerusalem? Was he scared? That's an easy answer. It's a yes or no question. No. Was he frustrated? Well, perhaps because look at who he's hanging out with when he gets to the part of the Jordan where John used to be. Many came to Jesus And they said, John never did a sign, a miracle, not like this guy. John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man was true. And now you get a chance to see who Jesus decides to spend his time with. And many believed in him there. Who are the kind of people that Jesus leaves the religious leaders to go hang out with? Sinners like me and you. He says, I'm done with all of these religious people that think they've got it all figured out. And if you're having trouble figuring out who I'm referring to, when I call this term religious people, I'm talking about those of you who are working really, really hard to impress God by doing good works. I'm talking about people that are 
praying and following these five tenets of Islam, hoping that you're going to get into paradise. I'm talking about all of those billions of people out there that are maintaining all of those holy days and hoping that one of these days you'll be able to escape this middle territory and one day be with God because of the good works that you've done. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Jesus came so that you can have an intimate relationship with the Father. But he is uh, very, very hostile against the religious people of his day. In fact, Jesus has no time for them. And in John chapter 10, he just blows them off and says, you know what? I got better things to do than hang around and have religious arguments with you morons all day long. I'm going to go to the people that will listen. And I'm using this as a way of illustrating, we have these little sponge cubes. You, you can't see this from your house because it's so small. But when the little video plays before the service starts, these are the core values of our church. This is what makes Two Cities Church who we are. And this little core value right here that says reach far, I think I need to un- explain that to you because that little world symbol on there can confuse you. We do not mean by that symbol, go halfway around the world on a mission trip. If that's where God sends you, absolutely do that without any hesitation. That's not what we mean by that, though. The far and reach far means your neighbor. It actually refers to the coworker that is literally one meter away from you in the cubicle right next to you. The far and reach far refers to this kind of person who is far from Jesus. And what we say as a church is Two Cities Church exists to push back darkness and to change eternity. And we do that not by having religious arguments with people all day long. We do that by going to people that are far from Jesus and introducing them to the one who radically changed us, who cleaned us up and who made us into people. That's the far in reach far. So what I'm saying is, As a church, all of those life groups that we do, we would much rather have somebody show up to a life group who doesn't know how to act in church, doesn't know how to talk, wrong kind of words coming out of their mouth because they're really far from Jesus. I would rather have that person show up into one of our groups than somebody who came from another church with a whole bunch of religious arguments and a lot of religious criticism and a lot of accusations and judgment. You know what? Stay at your church where you're at. You're better off there than being with us. We would rather be with people that are far from Jesus because Jesus would rather be with people that are far from him than the religious leaders that want to have arguments all day long about nuances from the Bible. What the Bible is describing for us today is how bad we can miss. Humans can miss the warning signs. The warning signs are telling us that there's a war going on. Please look up here. I need you to lean in for a second. I'm not referring to Russia and the Ukraine. I'm referring to the war that's going on inside every human being's heart. And there are some obvious signs that there's a war within you. And if you ignore those warning signs, it could be catastrophic. So my challenge from the Bible today is just don't blow off the warning signs because Sometimes the messenger is there to just remind you of the message. 
Sometimes the obvious is there to point out that you have a blind spot and you need another brother or sister. We call these life groups around here to come alongside you and to help you see, Jeff, you have a blind spot in this area. Will you help me? Will you let me show you how you're missing something here? Sometimes these warning signs are telling us don't get stuck in debates with religious people when you could be spending time with people that are on their way to hell, and you can be pushing back darkness and making an eternal difference in one person's life instead of having 50 arguments with religious people. See, I think there's a challenge for all of us today, maybe for me too. Maybe somebody in this room has been thinking about this war, and you've been noticing, you know what, for months, maybe even for years, I've had this off-again, on-again relationship with God, but I don't think it's ever really been settled. Maybe you're watching this broadcast and you're saying, man, I am so angry and so frustrated, but I don't love him and I don't feel like he loves me. And maybe in just a moment, what you need to do is just wave the right white flag in this war that's going on in your soul. You wave the white flag and you say, God, that's it. I surrender. I can't keep fighting against you because I know I can't win anyway. And so I'm just going to lay down my life at your feet and say, here I am. Take it. It's all yours. For all of the rest of us, I hope one of the things that you've heard today is that you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough to handle the challenges that are going to come your way. All of those temptations all of those blind spots, you can't do that on your own. You need other brothers and sisters in your life. I need that. But more than anything else, you need the Holy Spirit of the living God to dwell inside of you. Jesus says, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. I want to take this one step forward, which means all those that are in me, the Father is in them as well. And you need the Spirit of God living in you this week, helping you win this war that's going on inside you because you can't win it on your own, and nor can I. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.